0: Ashley Brock reading Diane Palmer's book, Lawmen, Chapter 13. Garren was home by early afternoon. He'd been working a bank robbery with most of the agents at his office. Everyone turned out. In a case like this, where the crew they'd been hunting appeared, how one of the bank's carrying squad had staked out. The four men were dressed in camouflage, carrying assault weapons. They held up a bank, and bullets flew at civilians as well as law enforcement personnel in their desperation to get away. Two people were wounded. The robbers ran out of the bank and took off in an old car, but they were. They roared off and lost their pursuiters in traffic. Minutes later, they wheeled into the parking lot of a nearby restaurant to trade the car for a parked SUV. An off-duty cop had seen more. Some men jump out of a car carrying weapons and money bags, cursing loudly as they fumbled with a key that apparently didn't fit the ignition. They hot-wired the SUV and took off. Dispatch sent out a text message to Garrett's squad, giving the name and location of all the off-duty policemen who reported armed men stealing a vehicle at a local restaurant because the parking lot contained several children with their parents the off-duty officer thought it would have been too dangerous to open fire and invite return fire in such a crowded venue but his quick reports sent lawmen rushing to the restaurant parking lot where they discovered a parked suv almost identical to the one the officer had seen the armed men hijacked amazingly its tag was registered to a convicted bank robber who had been patrolled just weeks earlier in their haste to get away the robbers had mistaken another suv for the one they had apparently parked earlier next to the restaurant the escape vehicle was left behind with a tag in the robber's own name when he arrived home fbi agents were waiting at his house they arrested him and he confessed and named his partners to shave some time off his sentence the bureau took priority in federal crimes like bank robbing but even if some other felony cases local police were glad to hand criminals over to the bureau because the federal charges were more severe and a suspect, if convicted, would serve a longer sentence. Garrett felt good about the quick resolution to the situation, the fact that nobody had been seriously wounded despite the flying bullets at the scene of the robbery. Thanks to some good police work and off-duties cops' sharp eyes, the felons were apprehended within two hours of the robbery and all the stolen money from the latest robbery was recovered. It felt good to have the case resolved. The robbers had been experienced and dangerous now they were off the street for years. Karen had gone by the crime lab to drop off some evidence in the case. It was technically a little before regular quitting time, but since there was nothing pressing, the sack told him to go home. It was Saturday, after all. He could always find something to keep him busy at the ranch. He was driving by Grace's house when he happened to look toward her front porch, saw what looked like a bundle of clothes, strewed across the ground near the steps. It was so odd that it turned into... That he turned into her driveway to check it out. When he got closer, he realized that it, what he'd seen wasn't close. It was Grace lying on the ground, unconscious. He was out of the car and running in a matter of seconds. He dropped down beside her and felt for a pulse. Her heart was beating with an odd rhythm, but she was already staring. Her eyes opened. She swallowed hard, her face almost white, her stomach churning. What happened? He asked the one's concerned. "'I don't know,' she said huskily, swallowing again. "'Keep the nausea from rising. "'I was walking toward the house. "'The next thing I knew, everything went black. "'I never faint,' she added indignantly. "'It isn't even hot. "'It couldn't be heat, stroke. You know. "'The Goldrins have a clinic on Saturday evening, don't they?' "'Yes. "'Yes, but I don't need a doctor,' she began weakly. "'It's just a virus or something.' "'He didn't believe it, and before she could argue, he picked her up and carried her to his car. Odd, he thought. "'She felt heavier since she had the last time of carrying her.' "'I don't want to go to the doctor!' she protested. He bounced her on his hip. while well, he opened the door, and he slid her into her and onto the passenger. "'So still,' he said firmly. While well, he reached for her shoulder belt, as he drew it across her body, his, heart, his hands slid gently across her stomach and stopped dead. He looked down at her, frowning, as his big, lean hands settled curiously, gently over the hardness of her swollen belly. "'What are you doing?' She asked still dazed from the getting this. It is an appendicitis. I don't have an appendix. When I was stabbed, the knife severed my appendix in one of my ovaries. The look on his face was inexplicable. She saw his eyes glitter, and his face go almost as pale as her own was. You're scaring me, she protested. What's the matter? His hand pressed tenderly against her stomach for an instant before he finished fastening the shoulder harness and closed the door. His face was hard and unreadable. He didn't say a word. He couldn't. He was shaken. to his very soul. I need my purse, she protested. It's sitting on the hall table. The key's in the door. You need to lock it if you're determined to make me see the doctor. He was too dazed to argue. He went inside, picked up her purse, locked the door, dropped the key, and the pr- key in the key, and passed it to her before he climbed back behind the wheel. He drove like a man sleepwalking. He knew his heart must be turning flips. Could she really be that naive? That she didn't realize what had happened to her. He glanced at her curiously as he pulled out onto the road. <laughs> Are you eating anything at all lately? he asked in an odd tone. She shifted restlessly and looked out the window. Whatever I've got keeps my stomach upset, she suddenly. Mostly I get milkshakes. I drink them. She really didn't know. He felt his breath catch as the possibilities rushed and like mosquitoes, circling his head. He'd been like half a man during the past few years. He avoided women and entanglements and hardly dated it at all. Now, fate of delivering him up a whole to this unexpected complication, and he felt as if he'd just won the lottery, but he didn't know how to handle it. Glanced to Grace's averted profile. She wasn't pretty, but she had warmth and empathy that made him hungry. It'd been so long since he had a reason to live. Now he had something to make life worthwhile. He had to hope again. You're acting very strangely, she observed as they neared the Coltrane's office building, which they shared with their colleague, Dr. Drew Morse. Emma. we will never get in, she added, holding the cars parked outside the building. I'll bet half of Jacobs County is sitting in the waiting room. Why don't you take me home, and I'll see Dr. Coltrane next week. Not on your life. He parked the car and pulled out his cell phone. She tried to protest, protest what he was saying to the receptionist, but he held up a hand and cut her off. The side door, in, right. I'll see you. We'll be right there. He drove to the side of the building, parked, got on lifted grace, carrying her toward the building. But I'm not dangerously ill, she protested. I never said you were. He told her I was unconscious. A tiny white lie. He said he's reasonable. Better close your eyes unless you want to be here until midnight. She really wanted to argue, but the side door was opening. She didn't want to spend the night in the waiting room. She closed her eyes. Bring her right in here, the nurse instructed. Grace felt herself being placed gently on an examining table. Doctor will be right in, the nurse said, exiting the room. For Garen could get a word out, Dr. Coltrane walked in a stethoscope, draped around the collar of his white lap jacket, looked uneasy as he took it off, stuck the earpiece in his ears a bit to listen to Grace's chest. I just fainted, that's all. Grace was pretty proud, because her heartbeat worried him. He listened, had her cough, listened again, took out What were you doing just before you fainted? I was just walking without a word. Garrett cut the red of Dr. placed the flat on Grace's belly with a meaningful look. Taken back. Coltrane's hand moved over the hardness of her slightly swelling belly. He caught his breath. Lab work. Garrett suggested solemnly. Coltrane stared at him with growing comprehension. Grace was the only one who didn't understand what was going on. <laughs> Coltrane went into the hall and called his nurse. He spoke to her on her breath. Yes, doctor, right away, she said and walked back down the hall, took a phone call while she came back and drew blood from Grace's arm. It isn't an ulcer, Grace protested when the nurse had gone out of the room, closing the door behind him. I don't have stomach problems. Don't you tell Coltrane that I do, either? She shrugged her on him, because I know what an upper G.I. series is like, and he's not doing one on me. Karen didn't answer, went to the window in the small room, shoved his hands in his pockets, and looked outside. His world and Grace's was about to change forever. He didn't know what to say or do. Grace was going to be upset. Coltrane was back in sentiment, sober and sauntered. Closed the door. Pulling out his roll and stole and sat out. We have some decisions to make, he told Grace. Garen moved to join them. His eyes on Grace looked completely perplexed. Have I got cancer? She asked the guess. Coltrane took one of her hands and his held her tight. You're pregnant, Grace. She just said, I can't have a child. She said, a choked you. said I couldn't. drew a sharp breath where Garen stillness was him. I said it was wasn't likely. With only one ovary. I didn't say it, it was impossible. Grace's hand went to her belly, full on its firmness, filling the thickness of her waist. She was pregnant. There was a tiny life inside her. She felt herself glow since she were touched, barely touched by ecstasy. You can't have it, said. You're barely a month pregnant. In time for a termination, I can send you up to San Antonio. No, the word exploded from two pairs of lips at the exact same time. Grace and Karen looked at each other, surprised As golden eyebrows. Grace a excuse me. The doctor asked, you're not terminating my child, Grace. It's still golden. Grace, it's too risky, he said. Listen to me. Jacob Spill is still a small town, with old-fashioned views on unwed mothers, even if there was no risk. How would you feel about having a child out of wedlock? She won't be. I'll get a license first thing again. Monday. We can be married in the Ordinaro's office Thursday morning. If a blood test is still required, you've got her. You can do me while I'm here. Grace Fellowship, she herself falling in a pit. "You don't want to be married to me," she said. No, the statement was true. Even I choked in pride. Karen leaned back against examination table. "Ladies from Colton grace, this doesn't go outside this room," he said quietly. "Even my own brothers don't know." He sighed. Emily. His dark eyes seemed to see into the past. As it was two years after I graduated from the FBI Academy, I'd just been posted by the Bureau to a field office in Atlanta when I met Emily. You mean? She was a civilian employee who had a degree in computer technology. She did background checks for us. She was a strong, independent, intelligent woman. We both knew the first date that we'd be together forever. She all taunted. The sign of grace about her, We were married two months later. She got used to having me work long hours and sometimes travel out of the country on assignment. But she had her job to accompany her. We drifted along. We grew closer. We were happy. When we knew she was pregnant with our first child, we spent hours working, walking the malls, picking out furniture and toys. He stopped until he couldn't compose himself. When she was five months pregnant, she started feeling tired all the time. That thought it was part of the pregnancy, but she was having other symptoms as well. I took her to the gynecologist, who ran blood tests, and sent her immediately to an oncologist. When jaw clenched, the oncologist diagnosed it as non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, one of the most aggressive cancers. Culture. Yes, she refused treatment. She wouldn't risk the baby, even to save her own life. But the cancer was advancing and quickly aggressive. I Felt again the grief, the knowledge, pulling his pins. I lost them both. Yeah, I flatted for it, so not touching the girl. It was ten years ago. I decided that. Never take the risk again. I lived from my job, and I did. I volunteered for the hostage rescue team for six years. I was on the front line of any desperate situation where lives were in danger. From there, I went to our squad units. When I started losing my edge physically, I opted for transfer to one of the Texas field offices. I was sent to Austin, and then they transferred down here to the lead squad in the Violent Crime Unit. But I've only been going through the motions of living. He concluded. Look down on Grace. There was an odd line in his dark. I want this baby, Grace. You don't know how much. Go and find himself losing ground. He's <laughs> like the Grace Wernley. I'll be alright. Jesus, sure. I'm not giving up my baby. I've never had anyone of my very own. Cooper, she uttered a soft husky tone. Her, her, her hands lay protectively on the small side. She's not one. <laughs> It'll be my whole world, Coltrane couldn't fight that look on her face. He wasn't without sympathy for Garin. now that he understood the man a little better. It didn't take a mind reader to know that Garen was the child's father, but this was going to be more dangerous for Grace than she realized. <sighs> I need to talk to your prospective husband, Coltrane began. No, you don't, Grace told him belligerently. This is such a thing. There is such a thing as patient, doctor, privilege. You don't have my permission. That's the end of it. Coltrane was worried, but well, she was right. He couldn't betray her secret. He understood why. She didn't want Garen to know. It didn't make it less risky, but he couldn't force himself to go behind her back. Not after she'd been through. She obviously wanted this baby enough to fight any hand of interference. His lips compressed. Alright. I'll do the best I can. Garen who just relieved the most painful episode of his life, was only half listening to a conversation he didn't understand anyway, looked down at Grace with an expression she couldn't decipher. I'm sorry about the complication, said I didn't know it isn't a complication grace Garen said Is a baby, why well, do you don't want to marry me? She started, to know it He said on It was only for eight months he added the baby comes, we'll make decisions. Which meant he wasn't ready for an happily ever after, and she couldn't blame him. She'd been careless, but he was going to, but he was going to pay the price. At least he wanted the child and wasn't going to try to force her to get rid of it. She wasn't going to tell him anything at all. All that might upset him. He lost one child. She was going to make sure somehow that he didn't lose this one. He drove to her house, got out with her, and went inside. She unlocked the bag of bag. He said, you're staying at the house until we get married. But I just got home. Do I have to remind you of the risk? He asked quietly. For one frightening moment, she thought he meant the other risk. Then she realized, relieved, that he was talking about the killer. He probably still thinks I have amnesia, she said. He's a void arrested for 12 years and gotten away. If he's the killer with 11 murders, he's not a stupid man. He must have lived here at a time. She never considered that possibility. She got her breath and sat down heavily on the arm of her grandfather's old easy chair. Do you think so? Most serial killers choose their first victim within a comfortable radius of where they live, he said. She bit her lip thinking about it. We had two renters down the road, she called. One was married but his wife was visiting family back east. The other was suddenly in a wheelchair. He didn't necessarily live next door, he said. He could have been involved in some program at school or church that brought him into contact with children. He could have been anybody, she said early. All these years, I've wondered. Well, gradually, he said f- with firm confidence. I promise you we will, but right now, I'm taking you home with me. There's no way in hell I'm leaving you here alone. She saw that he meant it. Well, at least he was concerned for her. He didn't want the baby, even if he didn't want Grace. She got up and went to pack her bags. Miss Turner was fascinated not only with the news of the wedding at which she would be a witness, but at the prospect of a baby. She didn't even seem shocked that they'd put the cart before the horse. She was already picking out yarn and patterns for baby clothes. Grace laid out her own decent dress, one decent dress, the blue wool one on her bed the day of the wedding. Karen came into the room after, but function wearing now, carrying a big box. She gave the blue dress a hot glare, put the box down right on top of it. What is this, Grace? Open it. She looked at the inside. There was an oyster white suit and a small hat with a white veil There was a silk bouquet as well. She looked at him astonished. I'm not marrying you in that damn blue dress He announced she touched the silk gently. She knew what it cost because she bought it for her secret project that he still didn't know about It's beautiful. I got your measurements from Barbara. He said he didn't add that he had to apologize his way into her cafe after his last finish there once well, she heard that he was marrying Grace, that a baby was on the way. She backed town just enough to go shopping with him. Thanks, she said in a shy husky tone. Your friend Judy at the floors is making you a bouquet, Barbara and Miss Turner will be witnesses. She's like Rick he had to close his teeth. He has to work tomorrow. He couldn't get off. That wasn't exactly the truth. He refused to watch Grace fill in her life. His exact words. The young detective was furious when he knew why Garen was marrying Grace. Garen could understand how he felt, but he couldn't tell Grace when she was carrying his child. (laughs) Oh, was all she said. She knew how Rick felt about her. She was sorry she couldn't feel the same. How about him? It was probably better. That he didn't show up in a probate judge's office? I'm going to drive to the courthouse, Mrs. Turner will bring you. Okay. He didn't ask if she wanted a church wedding or offered her an elaborate affair with bridesmaids and groomsmen. Probably he'd had this sort of wedding with his first wife. She didn't protest. He was still grieving for the woman he lost. It was enough that he was giving her, their child a name. She never expected him to want her permanently. Nobody ever had. The probate judge was a woman, Annie Barnes, and she'd been married herself for two decades. She knew Grace and her family and the ordeal Grace had been through. She gave them a short but dignified and poignant service with Barbara and Miss Turner standing to the side of them. She didn't think Aaron would buy her wedding ring, but he had. It was a wide gold band with platinum edging and grape leaf patterns. And by one for himself, that was hardly surprising. The judge declared them legal married. Aaron meant to brush a cool kiss against her cheek. It had been a long time, but he still remember the joy of his first wedding. He was fond of Grace, and he wanted the child, but he couldn't separate himself from the past. Garen treated them to lunch afterwards at Barbara's Cafe, and the owner herself bought out a magnificent wedding cake that she made for the occasion. Grace felt tears when down her cheeks at the thoughtfulness. She hugged the older woman warmly because she was the closest thing to family that Grace had. They were on the way home when Miss Turner returned separately in Garen's expedition when Garen's pager beeped. She pulled it out slow to check the text message and damage. "'I have to go into the office,' he said, stepping on the gas. "'We've got a new lead in the case.' "'The killer?' "'She asked excitedly. exactly on it. "'I'm sorry,' he added, "'but I don't work a nine-to-five job.' "'Granny Daddy was a deputy sheriff,' she replied. "'He had to go out over all hours of the night "'if there was an emergency. "'Granny always raised the roof. "'She had to "'I thought it was selfish of her. "'He saved lives.' "'He glanced at her with a warm smile.' That's why we're all in the business. I have lots to keep me busy, she said easily, including my jobs. You can quit them and stay home if you want to. he said, I'll make a good salary in the ratio additional income. She filled it with beautiful silk bouquet. she turned thrown a real one, and Barbara had caught it. I like working, she replied. I'm not very domesticated. That was a surprise. She's done nothing else that he knew of except looked after her grandmother. She felt his curiosity, but she didn't say anything else. He put up the door of the house and went around to help her out. Unexpectedly, he swung her up in his arms and carried her up the steps. That was when she noticed the expedition sitting beside the porch. Miss Turner had got home first. In fact, she was already opening the door with a big grin. Karen laughed as he carried Grace inside and put her back on her feet. He bent to kiss her with gentle warmth. The roses can wait. You rest, he said. She gave him a gamey grin. You planned to stop me by. Stop by and tell my roses where I am or on your way to work. Me, he chapter, straight little nose with a long finger, floor finger. I'll be back when I can. Okay. He was gone on a flash. Leave it away, Grace, to so be shooed down the hall to change and rest by Miss Turner. Marquis was sitting in Garrin's office when he walked in a few minutes later. He hesitated at the door. The younger man gave him an impatient look. Okay. I was out of line earlier. <laughs> he confessed to me. <laughs> At least you're not going to leave Grace in the lurch. (laughs) Karen's eyebrows you know everything, pretty much. My mother and I don't keep secrets from each other, (laughs) he says. I talked to a detective in Oklahoma. There was a red ribbon involved in their child murder four years ago. They held back the information just in case. It's got to be the same guy, Karen a Yes, I imagine he's been busy in other places in the past few years as well. We have DNA from the latest murder, but no hits when we ran it through the, co- <sighs> the computer. He yeah, added, I hope the perp might have history in a rap sheet. Karen shook his head. He's do good. One of the older detectives on the Oklahoma case said that they had an eyewitness who sure he saw the killer abduct a child from her room. Karen we talked to Sheldon, the witness in San Antonio, and when I went to Paul Vero, the chief said there said that they had an eyewitness named Rich who lived right next door to the victim, who said he saw the killer abducted the child. He left town just after the murder. That's three eyewitnesses at three crime scenes. Gary's arm. Yes. I think he's been trying to insert himself into the case, he said. They remember something. By God. Remember Sheldon's hands were scarred and he wore gloves? Grace only saw her doctor's hands. She said they were pale and had scars. What of Sheldon's, our man? Let's go, Marquis explained. Carolyn was right out the door after the younger man. For once, thanks for looking up. End of chapter 13.